Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, what more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Hi, I'm Karina Bemisterfer, host of Morning Cup of Murder, your daily true crime podcast. Yes, you heard me right. Daily true crime. Every day, Morning Cup of Murder tells you a straightforward, short form story about murder, true crime, cold cases, disappearances, serial killers, cults, and more. And I do that all in under 15 minutes. With over three years of stories and over 20 million downloads, the Morning Cup of Murder podcast has become a staple of so many people's daily routines. So, why not add it to yours? Stream Morning Cup of Murder everywhere you listen to podcasts, and remember, stay safe. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning Cup of Murder... We may never understand how one grieves a tragedy. Some prefer to sit in their sorrow, while others do things an onlooker may find odd or inappropriate. On June 6, 1996, an attack took place in the quiet, safe Rowlett, Texas, and the investigation and trial that followed would bring forth the debate on the right and wrong way to grieve a tragedy. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. At 12.31 a.m. on June 6, 1996, a 911 dispatcher for the Rowlett Police Department in Rowlett, Texas, picked up the line to hear the hysterical cries of a female, telling her that, quote, somebody broke into our house, they just stabbed me and my children. Now, Rowlett was a calm community, considered a safe haven to its residents and a place you could raise your children and they would remain protected. So a call like this was not only jarring, but absolutely unheard of. As the operator tried to calm the woman on the other line, she tried to get some more information on the situation so she knew how many to dispatch and where. But the caller just continued to scream into the phone, my little boys are dying, oh my God, my babies are dying. Finally, the operator was able to trace the phone call, get an address for the responding officers, and send them off to the home of Darren and Darlie Routier while she continued to try and calm Darlie. Within three minutes of her call, police arrived at the Routier home and found a grisly sight. Five-year-old Damon and six-year-old Devon had been stabbed to death with a large kitchen knife, while Darlie sustained wounds to her throat and arm. 
According to the devastated mother, an unidentified man broke into their home, stabbed her boys, and attacked her while she lay asleep on the couch in the living room. That, when she woke up and saw him in her home, she approached him and he fled, dropping the knife which she picked up and chased him with. It was only after that that she realized her children had been injured. When police searched the home, that a window screen in the garage had been cut. And though it seemed it was likely the way the intruder got into the house, there was no indication that anyone had pushed their body through the slit. Not just that, but it was a simple screen that even an unskilled criminal would have known could simply pop out of the window. And a further search yielded no other evidence, nor the intruder himself. At this point, some red flags had been raised that made police second-guess the grieving mother's story. Not only were there no signs of an intruder other than the sliced screen, no blood trail, and untouched layers of dust, but they found it hard to believe that a mother slept through her children being stabbed to death. The only scraps of evidence of an unknown assailant was a fingerprint on the windowsill that did not belong to anyone in the family, and a bloody sock containing both Damon and Devin's DNA found 75 yards away. Another red flag was that despite the fatal injuries both boys suffered from, both stabbed repeatedly, Darley's were fairly superficial, released after just two days in the hospital. When Darley recovered from her injuries enough to sit down for a detailed interview, she made it clear to the police over and over that she picked up the knife when the attacker dropped it, that she knew she shouldn't have because her prints would be on the weapon, but she did so in the moment. Untouched was the Routier's seven-month-old son, Drake, who was asleep upstairs with her husband, Darren, who was also unharmed. When Darren recounted the story, he gave the heartbreaking tale of a father torn between two sons. According to his version, while sleeping upstairs with the baby, he heard Darley screaming and ran downstairs. When he left the trio for the evening, they were lying peacefully having fallen asleep while watching TV together as a family. But when he went down now, he saw his wife covered in blood and rushed over to Devin's side to search for signs of life. While checking for a pulse and feeling none, he looked over to see Damon lying near the wall with blood seeping through his shorts. When he rushed over to him, he could hear Damon's lungs rattling as he struggled to suck in air. He described to police the torn feeling he felt being in the middle of the three people he loved most in the world and having no idea who to help first. In a horrifying moment, he chose to try and help Devin by performing cardiopulmonary resuscitation. It was unsuccessful. Continuing their search of the home, police found the murder weapon lying on top of the counter. Next to it lie Darley's purse and expensive jewelry that was completely untouched, leaving police to wonder why would a stranger come into the routier home just to kill the children inside? This clearly wasn't a robbery, so what exactly was going on? And if the savagery inside the routier home was any indication of how vicious the attack was, why wasn't there blood anywhere outside of the house? Not in the garage, not in the yard, nowhere. Then they heard from a trauma nurse who was with Darley the night of the attack and one of the officers who took Darren to the hospital. And together, they added a chilling level to this story that would soon turn it into a media circus. According to the nurse, the night of the attack, Darley was wheeled by the room where one of her children was being worked on. He was nude, covered from head to toe in blood, with tubes coming from his body. She was worried seeing him would devastate his mother, but Darley simply glanced over at his body, turned back, and stared coldly at the ceiling, something the nurse said she would never forget. 
And according to the officer, Darren looked at him the night of the murder and said, golly, I guess this is the biggest thing Rowlett's ever had before heading off to the hospital with his family. Things were odd and the red flags continued popping up. In the aftermath of the murders, Darlie busied herself by preparing for their funerals. And while we cannot judge the way one chooses to grieve, she did handle things in a way that most mothers wouldn't. She was emotionless, though that might have been because of the Xanax she was taking. And when she had a friend take her back to the house after the funeral to gather some things, she shockingly said offhandedly, look at this mess. It'll cost us a fortune to fix this shit. The comment worried the friend so much that she took Darlie by the shoulders and said, Darlie, look at me in the eyes and tell me you didn't kill the boys. She calmly responded, I'm going to get new carpet, new drapes, and fix this room all up. Then there was the macabre way she handled Devin's seventh birthday by inviting all of her friends and family to the gravesite, spraying silly string on his gravestone and laughing like she hadn't a care in the world, with reporters watching on and snapping pictures. Though family members were quick to point out their lack of reporting on the solemn ceremony that took place before the party. It was all too much, and finally, on June 18, 1996, Darlie Lynn Peck Routier was arrested and charged with capital murder. When brought to trial, the prosecution suggested that Darlie murdered her sons because of the family's financial difficulties. That she was a pampered, materialistic woman with substantial debt, plummeting credit ratings, and little money in the bank who feared that her lavish lifestyle was about to end. The video of the silly string incident was shown to jurors as they were regaled with not just the red flags, but the complete lack of evidence to back up Darlie's story of an unknown intruder. But the defense claimed that she had no motive to kill the boys and disputed the prosecution's claims of money, saying that the policies on the boys amounted to only $10,000, which wasn't even enough for their funeral expenses. That if it was money she wanted, then she would have simply killed her husband who had an $800,000 policy on his life. They said there was simply no motive, confession, or any witnesses. There was no way she should be convicted. A chief medical examiner came to the stand and said that, while the prosecution was asserting that the scene was staged, the cut on her throat was just two millimeters from her carotid artery and was not typical with a self-inflicted wound which went against what the hospital staff told police on the night she was admitted to the hospital. Then there was the sock that was found near the home. While the prosecution claimed it was concrete proof that Darley planted every piece of evidence at the scene, the defense said it was obvious that it was discarded by the unknown assailant when they fled the scene. There was also the matter of Darley's 911 call. A medical examiner testified that Damon was alive when the paramedics arrived. Therefore, he had to have been stabbed at most eight minutes prior to them tending to him. The 911 call itself lasted six minutes. So the defense argued that this did not leave her enough time to kill them, slice her own throat, stage the scene, and call 911. In the end, Darlie Routier was convicted of murdering Damon Routier, and on February 4th, 1997, she was sentenced to death. She has never been specifically charged with the murder of six-year-old Devin. After allegations of trial error, in June of 2008, Darlie was granted the right to a new DNA test due to the scientific improvements since her trial. And in January of 2014, both the prosecution and defense for her case were granted the right for further DNA testing on the bloody fingerprint found in the house, 
the bloody nightgown Darley was wearing, and the sock the trial relied so heavily on. A third round of testing was ordered in 2018. As of 2020, the tests are still ongoing. And at some point during all of her appeals, a juror came forward saying he felt peer pressure to vote guilty, fueling the belief that many hold that Darley was simply the victim of a flawed judicial system who misunderstood the grieving mother. In fact, Arthur Barbara Davis, who wrote a book about Darley's guilt, changed her opinion after reviewing the new discoveries. To this day, Darley maintains that she is innocent. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to what terrible thing happened on June 7th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.